Hi everyone and welcome to the Poema Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Um, it's really great to be with you all again today. I'm delighted to welcome Matt Bays to the show today. Um, Matt is an author and a speaker and um, has written um, an amazing book um, called Finding God in the Ruins. And we're going to have a chat today about his story and uh, talk about lots of different stuff. So welcome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be a part of this. Yeah, it, yeah, it's really great to have you on. I've been just talk, we were just talking beforehand and uh, been saying I wanted to get Matt on for a long time. So um, then a mutual friend gave me a kick at the backside and just reminded me that I needed to have him on. Well, had to have him on. So, um, yeah. so yeah, um, where were you? Where you were speaking to us from? From Indianapolis, Indiana. Awesome. In the U.S., yeah. Awesome. And where are you speaking from? Oh, um, I'm in London. Um, okay. In the U.K. Um, most of my listeners will know that, but um, yeah. I'm London. Yeah. Obviously, I'm British. Um, so, uh, yeah. It's like 7 o'clock in the, in the evening here. It's about 2, 2 p.m. where you are, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, most of these interviews are done by Skype. And there's always a time difference, so um, it's quite interesting to arrange them. So, um, yeah, so just tell us a bit about, um, tell, just tell us, like you wrote the book um, Finding God in the Ruins, which is a bit about your your own story. And just tell us a bit about that. Well, when I started writing, you know, I I was dealing with a lot of my own stuff. It was a catharsis for me to write. Um, and, and, and I was working through a healing process and, and, uh, journaling works for me. It's sometimes I don't know what I feel or what I think until I write it down. (laughs) So it takes me a while. And, uh, and then once I did start writing, um, you know, I just loved it so much that I loved saying things in a certain way that really sort of captured a feeling and emotion, you know, whether it be about pain, the past, you know, about hope, about God, love, whatever. There's always, there's so many ways to say something. And so as I was discovering that I enjoyed writing, you know, I, I, uh, I started uh, seeking out like agent and agent and, and thinking maybe I should try to do this. Maybe I should try to publish a book because I have a message that, that I'm carrying, you know, that is a part of my story. And if it be that that's a, a message that needs to get out there, then great. And if not, I'll never know unless I give it a try. And so that's what I did. And, um, and it was through, I'd approached the agent with a different book and it was memoir. And she said, let's not go strictly memoir. Would you be interested in writing another book, you know, about kind of along the same lines, pain and, and understanding where God is in the midst of the pain and, uh, and how to reconcile with that without serving up a bunch of platitudes to people. And so I said, yes, I would love to do that. And so that's what I did. Mm. So tell us a bit, I mean, you've got a very powerful story. So, I mean, tell us, a, tell us a bit about that story and some of the things you went through and what that did to you. Well, I mean, I was raised in a, a Christian home, uh, but it, it was very conservative. Um, and it's what, you know, it's what my mom grew up with. Um, my mom's just a, an amazing woman, but, you know, she had gotten into one bad marriage with my biological father, was divorced when I was about two and a half, and then remarried when I was about three and a half um, to just 
I mean, a complete monster, uh, abusive in every way, sexually, physically, emotionally, just, I mean, he was a real mess of a person. And, um, Mm. and so, and so that began uh, about a 10 year, my coming of age, you know, from three to 14, Mm. you know, of just, uh, chaos and, uh, abuse and, you know, which just spread like wildfire throughout the family and the siblings and everybody was affected by it. And so that was my, my childhood, you know, and it just really, uh, messed things up for me. And so I, you know, had some peace from the time I was about 15 or so until, um, college age. And when I went to college, I was very open, James. I was, I was always really open about trying to discuss this and talk about it because I knew it was there. Now the rest of my family wasn't, but I was digging. I was already digging at 20 years old, you know, trying to figure out what the hell happened, you know? (laughs) And, um, but there's only so much you can access emotionally at that age, you know? And so, uh, I got married and uh, at 23 and started right into ministry. I wanted to help people, you know, and so that's what I did. But it was at the age of about 28, and I call it the year of reckoning. You know, for me it was, and there's a chapter in the book about that, the age of reckoning, uh, where the wheels begin to come off of the denial that, that used to keep you safe, you know, and it, and, and denial can be a wonderful thing. It really can. I mean, it's it's how we survive. There's no way for a, an eight-year-old to understand the gravity of what they've gone through in their life. Mm-hmm. And so, but it runs out of gas one day. And when, and when it does, you're best to not try to get that car started again, you know, or you end up just sitting in the passenger seat the rest of your life and letting this eight-year-old drive you around. You know, and so, and so the wheels really began to come off for me in my life. And I was just, Mm. I was a mess. That's when I started drinking, uh, and, um, it became a full blown alcoholic. Um, you know, I'm sober 10 years now. So I stopped that right when I was 36, uh, and just, you know, I was in ministry trying to help people and I was just dealing with the past in a, in a major way. And I didn't have a lot of of course there are counselors, you know, but, and some of them were good. And then I found a really good one when I was around 35, 36 years old. But, you know, some counselors are just not, they're not great or they're just not a fit, you know? So nothing against them. I think it's best to go, but you might want to try two or three until you find one that you're like, Oh, okay, this feels right. There's chemistry and what they're saying makes sense to me. So, but I didn't find a whole lot of people in the church, or or, or in faith, that uh, that were that helpful. Uh, it was sort of just a, a message of, "Hey, let's pray about this, get over it, and move on." You know, now all very compassionate, but I was trying to unravel what this did to me—the lies that I believed, how I was living from those lies—and yeah, and so. Uh, and, and that takes time. It takes time. I think you can expedite it a little bit more than I did. It took me quite a while. <laughs> and, and there's still parts of it that are there that I work through that, you know, that come up every once in a while. But um, I watch people drag their feet. They get right up to the point of 
jumping off the cliff, you know, and surrendering. And then they say, nope, it's too hard. I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. And then they just continue to live in that way where there's not true freedom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really weird listening to your story for me because, and you don't know my story, um, because so much of your story resonates with me, um, with my own so people who listen to the show will know a bit of a bit of my story, but um, you know, I uh, grew up in a. My mum, my mum got brain damage when I was eight years old, um, which meant that she couldn't work, and she ended up becoming an alcoholic. And I, was, I, I got psychologically bullied at school. My parents were fighting every day when I got home from school, so nothing got done, and I had to break up their fights and major childhood trauma, basically. Um, yeah. Um, and that did a lot of damage to me and I escaped to college as well we, we called it university but um, and then I found coping and then my mum died after university and I found coping mechanisms like you did not the same ones but you know overeating and other things like that and yeah and I've only in the last couple of years really started to come to terms with it um, I mean I had a lot of counsellors like you I dealt with a lot of the symptoms but I didn't deal with the real problem and yeah and I mean, it just when I so when I heard your story, it was um, yeah, it was sort of solidarity, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think many people have been through this, and and you're right about the. I think the inner work. Not everybody does the inner work that you need to do, and some people some people go through their whole lives and don't do it. Um, yeah, and then that's kind of tragic. It is, yeah, because it passes on to generations. You know, and mm. you still find kids that are, you know, twenty somethings, and and you see that they don't they don't know what to do either. You know, I feel I feel grateful that, you know, my my kids are not perfect. I have two daughters; they're awesome girls, but they know what to do. I mean, they're going to face their own stuff, you know, in life, um, uh, because of you know we haven't been perfect parents uh, and they're going to have their own lies that have been whispered in their ear by the enemy uh, that they're going to have to figure out. But, but I think they have a better idea of what to do and where to go. So they understand recovery principles and that's it. So I've always said that, you know, my job as a parent is not to teach my kid how not to fail. It's to teach them how to recover because <laughs> they're going to fail. But as long as they know how to get back up and how to move forward, they'll be okay. And that's what I find is there are so many people out there in the church that are supposed to be providing hope to people and, and, and not answers, but they're supposed to, you know, uh, be grownups mm-hmm. emotionally, you know, and spiritually and emotionally. Pete Scazzaro talks about this in, um, the emotionally healthy church. Um, he talks about that you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature and vice versa. The two go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, and so it is to me now it is this book has been about a way to show people how to be honest, you know, because you don't have to have a list of things that somebody needs to do. But the honesty is compelling enough to push a person, I think, in the right direction. As long as they know there's somebody out there that has been through what they're through. I just sat in an AA meeting last week, hmm. and they were talking about 
relationships, uh, and, and specifically romantic relationships in while being in recovery because so many people's relationships are damaged. And it was going around the room, and it was just fine. People were being fine. But then it got to this guy, and he just said, I don't really know what to say. I just – I I am terrible at relationships. I'm just terrible at them. And he said, I'm trying to figure it out. And I just know that I don't really know how to give and receive love in a healthy way. And so I'm trying to focus on that and and figure out what that means. And he was so honest that in that moment, the whole room changed. And then from him Mm. throughout the rest of the room, everyone was more vulnerable, more honest. And that's when it's like, oh, I'm, I'm learning now. Because I'm hearing about the human condition. I'm not alone. You know, there are other people like me. Whereas, you know, in the church, a lot of times you just get quick, easy answers and uh, take this class or read this self-help book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just for me, it just that just hasn't worked for me. Maybe it does for somebody else, but it just hasn't for me. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm just like, yes, yes, every time. And it's like... And when you talk about, actually, I wrote a book um, earlier this year and on grace. And um, one of the things I talk about, I talk, one of the chats I talk about church and the metaphor I use for what healthy church should be is an, is an AA meeting. Because you have to be honest about who you are. Yeah. You know, like you say, well, as soon as that, in that meeting, as soon as that person was completely honest and vulnerable, suddenly that everything in the room changes and suddenly... Other people feel safe to be vulnerable about whatever that what was going on with them, and then you get real change happening, and you get real connection and relationship and solidarity because you know that you're you know you're not alone, and that that feels like what church should be like, you know, and it's not like that very often. Uh, I find. Um, so you're right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what? What? So kind of. What? How did going through that journey impact your your relationship with God? Your you know your spiritual journey, going through all the you know dealing with all this stuff and um, being an alcoholic and all that and having to recover from alcoholism and all that. How did that impact your relationship with God and relationship with church? Yeah, well, greatly. Um, so I am. If you've ever heard of the Myers Briggs personality profile, yeah, yeah. I'm an ENFP which means we get over stuff and we're pretty happy people for the most part, pretty easygoing, and we love to have fun. It's funny because some people say when they meet me in person, they're like, "You, I thought you would be a little bit more like (laughs) just maybe quiet or something. But I'm a happy guy. But And so I was always kind of just okay with God, you know, until this happened. And, and when this happened and the wheels started coming off, I started asking all kinds of questions mm-hmm. of God, uh, like just, I wasn't really asking them, they were just rolling around in my head at first, yeah. of where were you? If, if you're real, how, how does the tsunami happen and just massacre people and we're supposed to say, still sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, you know, or mm-hmm. oh no, you never let go. Well, don't you? Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and so I, I just, at first I was like, I just can't go there. I can't ask those questions. I don't want to, you know, but they're rolling around in my head. And then I got myself to a place and I don't even know how, 
But I got myself in counseling to a place where I just thought, I, I have to ask these foundational questions because I think, <sighs> I think my foundation is wrong. I think I've got it wrong. You know, I'm standing up in front of these people mm-hmm. every week and I'm leading worship. That's what I do. It's a church of 7,000 people. And I'm telling them all how God is so good. And inside, I'm just, I'm falling apart, you know. Mm. And I just thought, I I can't, I can't do this. I just feel like such a fraud, you know. So, so I had to go there. And so I did. No, I, I, and I did it through writing. That was my way of doing it. And if some people saw those journal entries, they'll never be published. They would think that I was crazy that I was a heretic, uh, you know, I think I'm in good company with mm-hmm. some some mm-hmm. people that have gone before me that have just taken the gloves off and said, uh, I- I'm not okay with you. You could have created a diversion in my life. You could have had somebody ring the doorbell when that man was coming to us to abuse us, but you didn't. You allowed it to happen for whatever reason, I don't really understand, you know? And, and so the night, the biggest night for me, I'll, I was up till about one or two in the morning and I was writing, the TV was on, it was on mute and I was just going at it, you know, just, I was just saying everything I wanted to say. And I just had tears streaming down my face, you know, cause I just felt like I was standing in this space that was just really tender, vulnerable, but also like just on the edge of hell, you know what I mean? And on the edge of heaven somehow too, because I was being honest, but I was afraid, you know, and when I closed my computer that night, I just took a deep breath. And the only thing I felt from God, the only words that came to me in my mind were, I'm here, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You can't scare me away. I'm not wringing my hands in heaven wondering what to do with you. I'm here. You know? And I thought, so I don't know that need to have all the answers right now. I just need to know that you can handle me that way. Because that's as honest as I can be. You know? I mean, when you're, you know, I call it uh, lightly and sort of jokingly. Some people hate this, but I call it the middle finger theory. You know, that when you can stand and you can flip God the bird, you know, in, in my life, when I did that, that, sorry, I'm so teary, but that is the moment that I felt from God when I just feel like I just stuck him up in his face. That is the moment I felt from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know why. I think some people would have thought... I was awful or whatever, but for me, the God that I know, that I love, that's what he says to me <laughs> at my worst state. Mm. And uh, and those those are the things. So do I have God figured out? Hell no. I, I don't know why those shootings in Las Vegas happened last week. It breaks my heart, mm. you know, that this happened. Yeah. But I also know this, this other side that— when I'm at my worst, he is just not just it's okay, I accept you, but like like I feel like one of his favorites. And that's beautiful. 
that has to be enough. You know, for me, that's a, that's a, that's enough. So all the other stuff is still there. It'll mm. always be there, but, but this, yeah, it just, it's, at least it's a real relationship. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> and that foundation was reestablished on some kind of brokenness, you know? Uh, and, and so that's, maybe that's where I'll always be. I don't know. But, um, uh, but I can tell you this, my sister passed away in, in August, and she had had cancer for a long time, or in October 31st, we're coming up on our year anniversary. And I'd said, even in my book trailer, you know, I will march my cul-de-sac in protest against God when she dies. You know, I just, I will be so angry, you know, and I haven't been. I have only been grateful for her presence in my life in the years that I had. I'm sad, terribly sad. But... I thought that that would just naturally come, you know, because I was being honest. And so I don't know if I'm in a new place than I was before, because listen, I have no problem being mad at God, but I wasn't. And I haven't been, it's been almost a year that I've just been like, I can't help but just be grateful for her rather than angry at God. I think I really do believe now that his ways are higher and by higher, we always mean better. But I don't think it means easier or better. I just think no. it means higher, different, that yeah. we don't understand. I'll stop there for now. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. So, yeah. honestly, you know, I didn't mean to, you know, cause you to um, get so emotional. No. But um, but thank you. That, that was very um, honest and courageous to share. So Thanks. thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and, I, and I do resonate a little bit. Because I, you know, losing, I lost my mum, you know, at 23. And um, it took me a long time to go from the anger to where you are now with your sister. Um, I was angry a long time. I was angry with her as well. Yeah. Which is a normal thing to happen when, with grief. Um that angry with God like, like you were like you thought you were going to be angry yeah um, you know and the weird thing is that um, with my grief that you know obviously you you want to have them back but 17 years nearly 18 years later and seeing what happened as a result of that event and how I changed as a result of that event and the things in my life that I have now that I wouldn't have had, and the chain of events that it set off, I wouldn't change the life I have, I have now, or who I am now because of it. But I wouldn't yeah. want it. I wouldn't want it to happen again. But I wouldn't change who I became because of it. If that makes sense. Oh, it it does. It's it's uh, there's this there's this exchange, and, and at the end of the book. You know, at the very, very end in the afterward, you know, um, that's exactly what I talk about. That, that for me, you know, I used to say and I said to my counselor and he caught it, you know, I said, I'm, I'm glad for what happened to me. And he he kind of issued a, hey, let's be careful with that language. That wasn't supposed to happen. I don't I don't know that you can be glad that that happened. You know, there's a quote that, uh, from Oprah that, that is out there that circulates as something is when I can say thank you for that experience, like as to an abuser. I'll never say thank you. I'll never say thank you. But I know 
that if bad stepdad, stepdad from hell goes away, so does my desire to be a a good dad to my kids. Uh, If the, the abuse goes away, so does my ability to empathize with those who have been abused. You know, uh, uh, if the alcoholism goes away, my compassion and understanding for for those who cannot seem to break this disease and this habit. You know, so many of the things that I have become because of these things, if mm-hmm. I, right, I, I would... I would have to trade those off, and and so to me that's rede- that's redemption. Yes, that's that's yes, absolutely right. So yes. it's not that all of this stuff disappears. Mm. It is that I I I wouldn't trade it. I wish it wasn't so, but I no longer would trade it because if those things go away, so do all of these good things over the way, and so in that way the scales have tipped in my favor, mm. and they didn't in my twenties and. My 30s is a decade I don't want to repeat. Mm. But in my 40s, I have found, you know, that I'm just so much more okay with the chaos. Richard Rohr talks so much about that, being able mm. to hold dark and light at the same time. Yeah. The way the way God does, the way Jesus did, you know. And, and you get to a point in his book, Falling Upward, he talks a lot about that. It's such a wonderful book yes. that yes. you become a second half of life person that is okay in the chaos you can have serenity in the chaos yeah it's a good place to be when you get to that place i'm beginning to get to that place now where i'm seeing things like that where you know and it just happened naturally i I, because i see this i see a spiritual director about twice a month and i have done for about a year which has been one of the biggest factors in this change because they reflect yeah. everything back at you you know um and, and because they're a trained therapist as well it's kind of like spiritual therapy um but yeah but yeah they kind of put it out to me you you know like you're seeing things completely differently now like and i just noticed it in myself that i don't have this binary way of seeing things anymore that i finally actually got to a place not just con- not just kind of intellectually but in my soul where i wasn't seeing things the same way and that's affected everything you know, and it, yeah. it changes how you see life. It changes how you see yeah. the church and politics and everything. Yeah. yeah, and that binary way of thinking is not, it's not bad when we're young. I mean, no, that is I agree. the yeah. way we see things in black and white when we were young. That helps us to establish what life kind of should be like in, the, in a construct that makes sense to us. Mm. But there comes a time where we, we begin to understand that, we have no control over this world <laughs> and, and what happens. People get sick and die. Kids are born with diseases or not born at all after a full-term pregnancy. Uh, you know, someone can't learn the way another person can. Life is not fair. And at that point, at some place, you have to be able to begin to go through the process. And it takes time of letting go of that that first way that, that we were taught, mm-hmm. you know, of – structure and where you you know cause and effect and you know all that kind of stuff it's it's a good thing when we're young but it doesn't carry on and the funny thing is james you'll find people that are 18 that understand this concept and you'll find people that are 80 that don't that's right i've got friends who are kind of you know 20 21 22 who get this you get this yeah yeah and i've got I know people probably are, because they've been through it yeah. They've been through something, and they've understood life is 
how I view life and, and, and how I move through life is up to me, regardless of what's going on in my life. It really is up to me. Yeah. And it's, it's scary, but it's, um, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, that's how it is, you know? Yes. And, um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> to think about yeah i don't even know where to where to begin with that um but it's it's really really interesting so so you wrote so basically this book kind of came out of a natural kind of flow of creativity which kind of came through came through this story like so how i mean how did you one of the things that i'm passionate about is creativity and and its power to kind of heal as well Mm-hmm. be cathartic you know i have this thing called anxious writers um where i anxious what anxious writers um, okay it's like a community online yeah, people yeah. for writers who either have anxiety or mental illness or who struggle with with writing or that kind of thing and yeah um so how was writing how was writing cathartic to you what did it what did it do to you to just Put that stuff out. Put that stuff down on, on paper, and even in your journal. Yet alone, have a book published. Um, kind of, what did that, what did that process kind of do for the stuff that was inside? Well, uh, you know, I think it just gives voice to the the feelings in there that that don't have a voice yet. They're all in there, you know. But I, sometimes we struggle to understand them. Uh, what I'm feeling, and like I said, I don't often know what I'm feeling until I write it down. And it's with anything. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've done this. We all have as writers where you're writing something and you're like, this is just a bunch of garbage. Like this isn't what's Mm. there. And so I'll go back to a writing practice where I just, I literally just write, you know, let my brain go. And I write anything down like that picture behind James is like, you know, I wonder how long that's been there on that wall, the wall color, you know, what does that room even look like? He's wearing a sweatshirt or a t-shirt, you know what I mean? Just like, random thoughts that you just write down. But when I start emptying my brain that way, and that's stuff that I've read and stuff like uh, Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg or, you know, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, some of those writing books, Stephen King's, you know, that after a time, and usually within 10, 15 minutes, uh, something starts coming out. (laughs) And usually it's something that's floating around in my soul that, you know, that needs to be talked about that needs to be acknowledged or whatever and so then i write it all out and and then sometimes i come back to it and you know and then do the fun work of editing and you know Mm. you know making it all work and flow nicely and until you've got something but but it is when i leave a session like that when i write i just i'm a better person i'm i'm more balanced you know uh and and i'm less I'm not a mean person, so I don't lash out at people, but what I do is I internalize and then come the feelings of insecurity, uh, of paranoia, you know, what is somebody thinking about me or how come, you know, I don't get this in life or blame, that kind of stuff, you know, and when I write, it's like everything is sort of right with the world, you know, the journaling process does that where I'll get up and even if it's been something that's really hard to write, I still get up and feel relief. I just feel relief. So I try to keep that in in front of me, even if I'm not publishing something, a blog or working on a book, Mm -hmm. I try to continue to write, um, to write the stuff out, you know, and then have conversations about it with people. 
you know, because I'm a yeah. verbal processor. Yeah, I'm the same. Very similar. I find when I talk about, often when I'm talking about something, I get an idea that I want to write down. Yeah. Um, which is why I want yeah. my phone with me. And you're, and you're like, can you hold it for a second? I just need to write this down in my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I do that all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes I'm like praying or something and I'm like, oh, I need to write this down when, <laughs> you know, but I can't because I'm yeah. praying. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it is interesting how that all happens because it's a very similar process that I go through. You know, just writing stuff out, free writing, just not really planning anything or editing, just getting out what's inside. Yeah. And it is really helpful. Yeah. And it helps you connect with your kind of your true self as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing actually I wanted to ask, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Okay. Has, has, uh, in terms of what you believe and how you believe, how has that how has that kind of evolved and changed during your journey? Like theology? Well, yeah, I mean, because I've been doing this series about um, questions of faith and spirituality, and two of the questions were obviously what we believe, but more actually how we believe. Rather yeah. Than, because I talk about open-handed belief and closed-handed belief and like you know um and i think i actually kind of i'm coming to the conclusion that how we believe is almost more important than what we believe i love that i i really love that because i think if like my instant thought is oh i'm not the person to talk to about this because you know in my experience uh when we start talking about what we believe specifically um, it starts to get judgmental. Uh, and this is within the circles that I've been a part of in the evangelical church. And so, you know, it's funny because you don't, you don't really read, if you read the gospels, you don't find Jesus talking a lot about what to believe outside of, you know, that he is the, you know, the son of God. Uh, he's not saying, here's what I need you to believe. He's just, he's just loving people, you know, and touching people and uh, chastising uh, people that are judgmental. Uh, and the the Pharisees, a lot of times, people think they're these like wackadoo Christians, and they're not. They're regular Christians that are. Were, I mean, they were religious leaders of their day, and 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 loved Jehovah God and wanted to do well, you know. But they were the ones that he continually went back to because all they were trying to do is to to get everybody to behave enough mm. to get everybody to stop sinning so that Messiah would come. It's kind of a noble thing. They were trying to do like everybody just knock it off. Stop with the sleeping around and, you know, and, and just stop it so that Messiah will come. We want him here. You know, it's kind of a noble quality, <laughs> you know, but uh yeah, and so Jesus, and so they used hell. That's how they scared people. By you're going to burn in hell. You're going to, you know. And and then the funny thing is, Jesus comes on, and people always say Jesus talks about hell. But if you look who he talks about it with, never the sinners, always the Pharisees. Mm. And he he uses what they used against mm. them. You know, mm. it's it's a really interesting when I when I saw that, and it was through reading a Brian McLaren book. I thought. 
well, that's interesting. So I went and did some research and I was like, oh, he's spot on. <laughs> this is where it starts to flip your brain a little bit. So personally, here's where I, here's where I land. Um, I, I, I believe I can spend my whole life trying to love God and love my neighbor. And as long as I am in that space, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't have to worry about all of the other stuff. And that's another thing that you learn about in recovery groups, 12-step groups, is it's not my job to fix one person. It is my job to fix me, my reactions. These are the only things that I can control. And so when people like Bruce Jenner decide that they're transgender or feel that they are transgender, I will only write with compassion toward him, toward her. You know, I... I I don't have anything to say other than I love you, sister, brother. I love you. And whatever, if there was any way for me to get to you, I would only want to hear your story and and tell you that God loves you. The end. Now, that might sound bleeding heart liberal or, you know, or some people would say, well, at some point— you have to have those people that call a spade a spade and do a certain thing. And I would just say to you, you're probably right. We do. I'm just not that person. So I'm staying in my lane. Love, compassion, uh, love God, love your neighbor. Th- these are the things that I cannot get in trouble with. I, I can do those and, and, mm. and do a good job. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. You know, it's, yeah, we get so caught up in, theology and being right and you know um, I'm right you're wrong your arguments don't mean anything I have the theological or moral high ground therefore I can dismiss you and both yep. sides both sides do it and it's um, you're right and it's uh, you know sad really and I used to be part of that yeah. I, used to part of, I used to be part of that on both sides in fact like well that was back in the day but um <laughs> Um, you ever had that thing where you where you where you just think where you look back like 15, 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago and you think did I really believe all that stuff <laughs> you know um, I certainly have that um, yeah because you think you have it I mean you think you have it figured out I mean who doesn't and and it's the, like the older you get the more you realize the less you know yeah you know absolutely. but but you're, but you're you're more sure about certain things for me those certain things are I'm a broken man, yeah. you know, and I need the love of God in my life, and I need to love others in order for me to hold on to that love. Yeah, and and that's sort of that's about it. So politics, and I mean, oh, I just stay away from all of that. I mean, I'll vote for absolutely for sure, but I do know that politics is will never be the answer of 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 returning this world to any semblance of order of peace and it just it just won't i mean it's a it's a broken system it's man-made and it's the kingdom of god the love of god that's what restores people is, is service under you know not power over uh, greg boyd mm-hmm. talks about that in his book myth of a christian nation that it, it power over people and that's what governments are they're power over it's not bad we have to have them you know but it we have to admit at some point that we're just voting the lesser of two evils. <laughs> we're doing our best. And so I'm going to think, which one of these do I personally believe will harm this world less 
knowing that you sit across me and you may be going the other direction. And I respect how you've arrived at your conclusion because I'm not sure that I'm right, you know, but I'm sure that I'm right about love, about love, loving other people. Yes. So that, that's where I stay. Yes. I think I'm with you there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This has been really, really great. Um, so, so, okay. So you've done the book now. What's kind of going on with you now? What are you kind of working on now? What's kind of next for you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out right now. I don't honestly have good answers. I'm, I'm, I've got a couple books that I'm thinking about writing. One is the memoir that I, that, that caught the eye of my agent. Um, she loved that book, but you know, she was like, nobody's going to publish your memoir cause nobody knows you. And I was like, Oh, that would have been great to know two years ago when I wrote it, <laughs> you know? So, um, cause memoirs are typically bought up by people that know you, you have a following or whatever. And I still have a small following and, and, um, but I'm thinking about putting some work, you know, some more work. I learned a lot through the editing process, but outside of that, um, I have a, a nonprofit by the same name as the book, Finding God in the Ruins, uh, awesome. that exists to provide uh, spiritual guidance for people, uh, writing, speaking, you know, and then meeting with people one-on-one. That's the spiritual guidance part of just, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I am a life coach. And, and being able to get people started down the road of recovery, you know, my niche for sure is, you know, the kinds of things that we've talked about today. I'm not a business guru, uh, but just helping people get started with the process of, of recovery. And, and some people don't know how to get started. And, and I generally, because there's some very, there's a very pragmatic, very practical part to recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not just all, you know, with no boundaries and free floating. There, there is a very practical part where I have to do work, you know, and for me, that looks like, 12-stepping, AA, having a sponsor, you know, and getting into a situation and going to that sponsor and say, here's what's going on. What do you think? You know, it's being in community, but not just sitting around trying not to do porn. You know what I mean? Where everybody's like, oh, yeah, I've got this men's group where we all try not to do porn, but they, but everybody's still doing porn. And it's more than that. It's, it's, it's actually taking steps of, of trying to, to change my life by committing to something. Uh, and like I said, in a very practical way. And so I, I have to live my life that way. I'm an alcoholic, so I have to. And, and when I do, uh, which is most of the time, you know, I'm at three, four, five meetings a week. Uh, then I find my life way more manageable, less highs and lows, and I'm able to sort of stay in the clear. Mm. that was where I, I sort of went off the path of what I'm doing back into this kind of stuff because I'm yeah. passionate about it. But. No, it's great. <laughs> I think it's awesome what you're doing. Uh, that, that's a really amazing thing and much needed, you know. I, I will always advocate for that kind of thing, um, certainly, you know, and that one-to-one stuff, you know, because we need people doing that. We need people going for that we need people i keep telling people the only way out is through you can't if you've if you've got stuff you've got stuff in your past and you're not going to 
you can't just deal with the symptoms. You have to deal with the actual problems, which means you have to go back to them, which means which is painful. You know, when I yeah. when I went on my kind of journey, um, and it was was it last year now? It was. It was last. God, this me. It was like eighteen months ago. This like had a moment where I had a picture of me and God, me and Jesus, whatever, at the top of this valley, and the valley was very dark and um, and unknown. And um, like, are you, like, and the, and the message was, like, are you really, are you willing to go through that? Are you willing to go to go down there? You know, because you have to. Like, it's the only way you're going to get through this. Like, and um, I said yes, kind of not knowing exactly what what lay ahead <laughs> and I probably am glad I didn't know what lay ahead to be honest but um I but yeah I went to some dark places I, I you know I went I got really you know had really low depressive moods and um lots of anger and uh, anxiety and overeating and a lot of things you know I've been through a lot of things but I've done a lot of inner work which is you know a lot of forgiveness a lot of healing a lot of um, deconstructing myself right down to the very bare bones and then starting again and I wouldn't change that um, so I, I, I recommend that to everybody else because I think we, we all need to do that and it's the only way to get it's the only way to grow up and get healthy you know in a way um, I think so what you're yeah. doing is amazing yeah I hear you. That that place is hard. It's in the Voyage of Don Treader where C.S. I think it's in that one where C.S. Lewis talks about. I forget what his name is. Eustace, I think, where he has the knobbly skin all over him, you know, and it's sort of a uh, protection. And then he finally asks, um, I think it's Aslan, to take the skin off of him, and and so he finally lays down to let him do it to remove all of this armor, and he says something like. Um, you know, when when his first claw went into me, I thought it had pierced my heart, that it that it hurt that bad. You know, and I just I love that metaphor of tearing the skin off, how painful it was, and then throwing him in this pool of water that was so cold. I remember him saying it just smarted like nothing else. Mm. You know, but then after a while, it became his quote was perfectly delicious. You know, and I think that's the way it is with. When we're, when we're doing this work, it is, it is coming to the end of yourself and, and realizing, I don't know what the hell to do. I don't know. You know, it's, there's some dark nights there, you know, but you've got to have somebody with you. You have to have somebody with you that's been there, that knows, and that, and that will walk with you through it, you know, besides God you know, because not everybody believes in God, but you've got to have somebody with you uh, that sort of knows that territory. There's a quote people throw around in, in the program that says, if you're going up in your head, take someone with you. That's a scary place to go alone. And I love I love that quote because it speaks to that. You know, you get to a place where you just you're at the end of yourself and you think and, and that's a that's a that's a good place to be. It is because then you walk out and it is sort of a rebuilding you know, and you know a little bit more who you really are, who we thought we were at 20. I mean, come on. It's almost hilarious to think about what I thought I knew at that age. Mm. Ah, I just, I know. We, we all think we're so, yeah, I remember, yeah, being a student. And not to and discount that time or any 20-year-olds, no, you know, they're, no. but, but life is, 
you know, just don't ever say the words I will never. No. Be careful with those words. <laughs> don't say those words. No. <laughs> right. Especially, if you're, especially not if you're a Christian. Don't say those yeah. words. Like, I've lost count of the number of sermons or stories I've heard of. I said I'd never do this. And then they, that's what they're doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's their calling, a vocation. You know, like, so I'll do everything, but I won't do that. So, yeah. Okay. Right. You know, and I used, <laughs> I used to always think uh, when, when I would see people doing really stupid things, you know, I've never had an affair. I haven't. But I saw people having affairs and I would think, what is wrong with them? Like you, what is, you know, how could you? Well, now I know. I, you know, I'm 46 years old. I know exactly how they had an affair. You know, it, it, it happens. We are all fragile. So be careful. We're all one mm. step away from ruining things in our life. I never thought I'd be an alcoholic. Are you kidding me? Mm. Come on. No, I would never do that. You know, and then what do you know? It's happening and I don't even realize it's happening. Come on. It's, mm. it's, the world is not simple it's just it's not easy but in some way you have to keep it simple to be able to manage the chaos of it and that's what i've had to do so that means reaching out for help when i need it it means working a program for me uh, it means being honest mm. you know yeah i agree i agree with you completely um wow this has been so so good I oh really, thanks i really enjoyed talking with you um we should definitely talk some more. Be uh, be really good to have you back here sometime. So um, thanks, James. Um, but um, yeah, I've learned so much, and it's also um, yeah, just um, some solidarity as well. You know, yeah, uh, it's good to know you're not alone on the journey, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's, um, who is it that says it? Uh, that oh, Ian Cron in his book. If you haven't read, uh, oh, what's it oh, called? No, I've got it. My yeah. father. Yeah, my, my father, the CIA. The CIA, me. Yeah. Jesus, my father, the CIA, and me. Yeah, Did you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a brilliant book. Yeah, but yeah. he, there's a point in there where he talks about growing up without a father, and that's like, you know, there's no center of gravity and no ballast. And he says, we know each other when we meet. And I've always felt like that when we see other people on the road, we know each other when we meet. Like, mm. And I think that with, with survivors of abuse, uh, it has to be the same way with people with mental illness or people that are just broken. You, you sense that. Once, mm. once you realize who you really are in your own struggles, you do kind of have that, that solidarity that you've mentioned that it's like, oh, he's like me. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's good to know that you're not alone. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. And, um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, have a good week, and we will talk soon. <laughs>